Hey everyone, John Clare here, and welcome to episode 25 of the Evofy podcast, a finance podcast for humans. Now, you may notice it's been a few months since we last chatted. I hope you are all well and staying safe. We've brought the full Evofy team together remotely to chat about the current state of markets, the CARES Act, and some other items that we thought might be helpful uh, these days. As you'll be able to see, we don't have the usual sound as we're still doing our part to social distance for the time being. I, for one, have three young children that I'm sure you'll be able to hear from time to time during this recording. In fact, my youngest even found her way onto the microphone. Such is life these days. We do the best that we can. Anyway, personally, it felt great to get back in front of the mic. I'm happy to talk to you all, and I think everyone else on the podcast felt the same way too. If you're not already a subscriber, please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And you can check us out on Twitter or Instagram at EvoFi Podcast or shoot us an email at EvoFiPodcast at gmail.com. We're working on our slate of upcoming podcasts. So if you've got a topic that's of particular interest, please drop us a line. As a reminder, this podcast is 100% free of any tax, legal, or investment advice. Our goal here is education and a little fun. If you need advice in any of the areas mentioned, tailored to your specific circumstances, feel free to give us a call and we'll see how we can help. Now let's get to the podcast. Here is the full Evofy team. Enjoy. We are back. I don't know if we can say back in black, though. But it is great to be back. And uh, for everybody who is new to the show, we have, this is episode 25. So we're going to reflect on the first quarter century mark of podcasts. And we have the entire team here. Our special guest is everyone. We have Mariami Pierce, Penny Lowbread, Cecilia Fleming, and Dave O'Brien. Say hi, everybody. Hi. So this is our first podcast from quarantine. It's actually our first podcast of 2020, if you can believe that, in May. Our last one was in uh, December of last year. And then as we were getting ready to get started, ironically, our first podcast was going to be on travel uh, before the pandemic hit. And then, uh, Penny, you went down with uh, an illness, and uh, here we are in May. And we're getting it started. Which seems like the beginning of 2020 at this point. Yeah. It's like a new year. Talk. We're back. Oh, yeah. Let's try and have some fun. And today is a bit of an experiment, as you guys know. Uh, we're all doing this remotely. And uh, we're going to hopefully make this work. So today, what I thought we'd do is do a little bit of an overview of where we've come over the past 24 episodes. And want to quiz you all on some of the episodes that we've had and try and figure out which ones you think were the most popular, and I'm going to reveal the top three, and then maybe do a little bit of data analysis on where our listeners come from. But then, seriously, we want to dive into some topics of today, talking about economic conditions, some of the stuff around the CARES Act, and talk about other things too. Maybe data security, Dave, I don't know if we've got time for that, but talk about real estate. Try and hit a bunch of things that may be on your mind. All right, everybody good with that? I'm good. You know what time it is, right? Cece, do you have something? No, it sounds good. That's All what right. I'm saying. I'm ready. 
So you know what time it is now. It's time to unmute since everybody understands now how, how to unmute themselves from. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Were you trying to talk? No. no. We're going to do the Evo five. Um, what I did was I picked one question for each of you. You got to have some fun with this, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, Penny, you get to go first. Of course I do. <laughs> uh-huh. So now there are normal questions, but instead of giving you five, I give you one. And this is a tricky one. I did this on purpose. What profession other than your own would you attempt? Um, actually, this is not tricky, but I, I always want, wanted to play football. So, but I just need a different body, but football. <laughs> I, well, this is a great answer. Yeah. Would you be like field goal kicker? or no, like a line In my person? head, I'm Bo Jackson. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like Bo. Yeah. That's a great answer. No, that's true. I would absolutely have loved to have been a football player. I was thinking rock star, but um, football player. A little too, too, too much attention. I rock star. Like, You'd rather keep the helmet on. Yeah. You have the helmet on. You don't really, aren't really aware of all the other people. Got it. CC. What's your favorite word? Favorite word. Is it bad to say cake? Cake? (laughs) I love that answer. (laughs) My favorite thing. So that kind of came to my mind. (laughs) That's good. That's good cake. Any particular kind of cake? Um, cow. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) I mean, it's cow from Shindig. The classic in Richmond. Oh, excellent. Well, if you hear the knocking on the door, that's just my kids trying to get in. So <laughs> we're, we're out. We might have to edit that out too. Daddy, let us out of the basement. So, Cece, what's your favorite Dave, homemade cake? Like, if you can't get to Shindigs, like right now, mm-hmm. what's your favorite? I cake? would say a classic vanilla with chocolate icing. My mom makes a pretty good one, so that's one of the ones I remember from my childhood. I don't get it often anymore. But. Hey, that's a message to mom listening out there. Cecilia needs a classic <laughs> vanilla cake with chocolate ice. Anyway, if, if in case anyone heard my daughter came in, Annabelle, say hello. Okay. Anyway, thank you for coming by. Would you mind shutting the door on the way out? Hi. There we go. Anyway, excellent. Now you're we a podcast star. She also <laughs> likes cake. All right, Dave. <laughs> What would you do differently if no one would judge you? Oh, gosh. I wouldn't be more punctual. That's for sure. Uh, you would not be more yeah. punctual? <laughs> I, I, I couldn't be less punctual. Okay. <laughs> so, that, see, I wouldn't change that. What would I do differently if nobody was judging? Gosh, that's a tough question. Grow a beard? No, I tried that. Nobody judged me to my face on that one, but I think, you know, I can count myself amongst a lot of guys out there who did the uh, quarantine beard. And uh, it looked pretty good. Yeah, I learned after a month and a half that it really isn't for me. That's cool. um, yeah, Jay, what would I do if, I, if people wouldn't judge me? Hmm. Run for political office? <laughs> <laughs> okay, hey, that's a good one, actually. That is a good one. I'm in association politics, so I, you know, I'm halfway there. <laughs> All right. Finally, Mariami, what is your happiest childhood memory? Oh, 
Um, one of my favorite memories is going and picking blackberries with my family in Canaan Valley, West Virginia. <laughs> and how old were you? Oh, we've done it like so many years, but um, one of the best memories was when I was a lot younger, um, probably seven. I think I was around seven. Um, and I just remember like we, my cousins and I just like got into like blackberry fights and just smearing blackberries all over each other. And it was so much fun. That sounds awesome. That sounds awesome. <laughs> all right. So the final question is, is the name that tuned? How many people know what that song was when we started? Who doesn't know that song? I'm not going to call anybody out. No. Like, not at all. Like, I mean, it sounds familiar. When it came on, you didn't know exactly what it was. It sounds familiar, but now I couldn't name it. Oh, man. It's the Star Spangled Banner, guys. Come on. Okay. So let me ask you a question. Did your parents or family play a lot of music when you were growing up? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So what kind of music do you remember from growing up? A lot of soul and R&B and 70s, 80s music. Because if I played that, all of my kids would not only know the song, they would know the words. Would they know which album it was from? Which version? Uh, I don't know. But, I mean, they totally would be like, oh, yeah. like That's Sturgis 78 live tape. <laughs> but to be fair... That what song, about you? you? Know how old that song is? Okay, wait, hold on. I'm thinking 79 or 80. It's 40 years old. Yeah. It it I, I won't say what how old I was, but yeah, I'm thinking <laughs> 79 <laughs> or 80. Wow. Anyway, good. Mariami, what about you? Did you guys listen to a lot of music growing up? Classic rock. Oh, you can't get much more classic classic than that. I was going to say, that's pretty classic rock. Doesn't. I mean, it sounds familiar, but without words, I couldn't tell you. Uh, You have so much to learn. (laughs) All right, so here's the deal. I just want to talk a little bit about the last 24 episodes, and I want to take a poll out there to see, of the ones that we did, which one do you think, or ones do you think were at the top of the list? I find it quite interesting that our top podcast is double more than double our second podcast take a guess at which one was our most popular anyone i'm trying to find the list yeah we're trying to remember what we talked about last year it was so long ago thanks for being prepared everybody i would (laughs) say so the matt paxton it's not it's not stuff or it's just stuff or something number uh, two yeah it's just stuff with matt paxton Wow. That was that was number two. Number two, number one. This is a this is a bit of a dark horse. I'm not sure anybody's going to get this, but we did have a bit of a celebrity on. And this is the one with Bob Veras. Definitely not Bob Veras. No, uh, industry she, insider. An industry insider in the oh, uh, college planning. Oh right, Mary Morris. Mary Morris. Yeah, no, that was good. Virginia 529 was our most popular podcast. So in case you haven't checked it out, it's episode 19. Number two was number 13 with It's Just Stuff with Matt Paxton, who's now the host of The Legacy List on PBS. And number three was Estate Planning 101 with Kimberly Skiba-Rakoski. So 
interesting. We should, we, we should have Mary back. That was a, a pretty good uh, topic, and we didn't cover a lot of the topics that that we could with the college. Yeah, board. definitely. Yeah. And I think we will have her back when they've got some new stuff going on uh, when that launches. Um, with COVID and everything, I'm not sure if their plans have been delayed or not, but we will be back in touch and have Mary back on. Yeah. All right. So um, any other favorite episodes before we move on to the topics of current events and what's going on in the world? Are there any other podcasts that are particularly memorable for anyone out there? I think the insurance podcast is memorable for me, but which insurance one was that? Sorry, it was the um, Hemeners. I think it was Hemeners and Auto and all of those um, combined into one podcast. But I think it's impartial because that was my one of my first podcasts. I think as an intern, so I'll just always remember I'm being introduced. That to was it. Huh? That was your brush with world. Yeah. prime time. Yep, that's great. Shout out to Jeff Swanson. I think that's who did that one. Jeff Swanson, yep. right? Yeah. <clears throat> Anybody else before we move on? All right. So here's a deal. So all of us were supposed to have been in, except for Penny, were supposed to have been in Denver a few weeks ago at the uh, NAPFA um, conference, which uh, Dave can talk about NAPFA if they're, if if he feels that's appropriate. But it's where a lot of, I would say, the um, fee-only advisors go to talk with one another, share best practices, hear from um, top speakers and on topics of the day. And there are a couple that I wanted to cover today. One is around the CARES Act. Um, we had, as I wrote down, Jeff Levine, who I like to call Michael Kitz's sidekick, um, talk about some of the CARES Act provisions that I think people might find helpful. Um, Bob Dahl of Nuveen. I think he's Dave C. the chief equity strategist. Did I get that right? Yeah. And Nuveen is a company that I think a lot of people haven't heard of. They are part of Tia Craft. So that's what I that's what I saw. Has that always been the case? Um, probably not always, but uh, for the past few years. And Bob is one of those just really interesting um, kind of I'd call them investment agnostic, uh, company agnostic, um, economist slash market strategists. And in the NAPFA community, you know, we, we definitely don't latch on to products. Um, we want to hear from people who really know their stuff and can yeah. explain what's going on in uh, pretty technical terms for us, but also provide us with ways that we can help translate that back for our clients. And, and Bob Dahl's certainly been one of uh, the few folks who does that best. So it's great to have so him. While we're talking about Bob, why don't we talk about him? Why don't we talk about that first? Because I think, you know, a lot of people out there, what we like to say in some of our client communications is we don't want to tell you stuff that you could read somewhere else. Yeah. But I think what Bob did was a good job of explaining things in terms of things that don't often get translated. Uh, there are a lot of headlines out there like, Oh, this is the next great depression or how does this compare to the great recession? But there are a lot of things that he mentioned that I found very interesting. Um, what kind of stuck out for you as some of the major points that listeners might be interested in? Sure. And, um, Maybe just as, as a preface to that, I'll just point out. So, John, you were mentioning like the NAPFA conference that was supposed to be in Denver two weeks ago. Um, you know, conferences are all canceled through the summer. Um, in our 
association of almost 4,000 fee-only fiduciary uh, certified financial planners. Um, our conferences, which we have two per year, that are three days long, um, that's really a major part of our culture because of the ongoing commitment to learning. And so our conference committee, which is just a group of volunteers and our very small home office staff, were able to pivot within about a month and a half from the time that we had to camp- cancel our conference that had been planned for you know six months, uh, well over that actually, uh, and put together what I think is probably the best uh, two-day uh, educational conference that I've attended in the past 15, 16 years of being at this. And Bob was, a, um, I think, a late add to this and, and knows our community within NAPFA and really put himself out there and rearranged his schedule so he could speak with us for a little over an hour. And what he provided was just very helpful in talking about the investment outlook for this year and, and then really on to the next couple of years and giving a bit of a, a backdrop as to where are we and, and why are we uh, in the situation we're in uh, and kind of how to think about it. And for anybody who's listening, who reads our client letters, one that we sent out about two months ago, um, kind of paraphrased an analogy that Bob used, which is at the beginning of just about every historical bear market where you have a big shock, you have this, what he calls a waterfall effect. And there's this waterfall cascade of the stock market that goes down really quickly. And that's kind of a shock and awe. And that happened back in 87 and it's happened in at least four uh, bear markets since. And uh, then you have this extended period where you're in the kind of the doldrums and the volatility of the market is pretty high. And towards the end of this protracted volatile period, after you hit a low, which we hit on March 23rd, and you go through a protracted period of a lot of volatility where there's all this uncertainty, and then you test that low again before you emerge out of it. And so with that, you know, he says, we've got bear markets that have these three stages. And right now we're in this middle stage, which he kind of calls the sideways whiplash. And I thought it was pretty interesting. He mentions that after you have that massive shock and all, which, you know, we declined in 23 trading sessions from February 19th, where we had hit a high in the, in the market, down 35% in 23 trading days between February 19th and March 23rd. And that was the fastest in market history. I'll just pause on that because that's pretty, it's really shocking. But then we have also had the fastest rally in history up 35% in one extra trading day in 24 trading sessions through April 29th was the high. Um, Ordinarily, like in past bears, these rallies give you about 20 to 50% of what you lost back. Uh, this one gave us 60% of what we lost. Uh, and that's due to what he calls the brevity of this recession and the massive Fed response. So those are some of the things that Bob discussed in his remarks. And they pointed to the fact that this massive Fed response, which is not over, uh, the, the fiscal stimulus that's still to come, uh, gives us bigger upside out of all of this. Um, he thinks we're going to have a secondary low. He doesn't know when that's going to happen, and that's not a unique uh, view of Bob's. Um, 
but we will see that before we start emerging out of this. And so I thought we could kind of use that as a backdrop for discussing what I think is one of the more um, intelligent outlooks on where we are and where we're going and what we should expect and why. I think one of the things that, that I learned, um, and I'm not sure, Cece or Miriam, if you were in the session either, so please chime in if you like, but um, one of the things that I learned, a couple of new words, um, which I think are helpful in this situation. One was when we compare, obviously it's natural to compare, especially if you watch the news to, well, how does this compare to the Great Recession or you know, now it's even, how does it compare to the next, to the great depression? And one of the things that Bob talked about was this is, and we all know this, but he's got words for it, which was this coronavirus um, related shock is what's called an exogenous shock, which means it comes from outside of the system or you know, in science terms, outside of the body. So it's something that it wasn't systemic like the great depression. It wasn't endogenous like it was during the Great Recession, where something inside the system broke and it permeated. And so when you hear about people talking about um, comparisons, I think it's important to understand that while maybe in terms of employment uh, or, or you know, um, Federal Reserve response compared to the Great Recession, there's some similarities, but the, the fundamental cause of this, he called this an engineered recession, which I, th- which I think is a good term. But this is something that we did, we as a world did to shut down, to flatten the curve. And now we're seeing the impact. So prior to this, there were no major systemic things that were out there that we were aware of that caused this. He, yeah, he does, I think, a very good job at allaying any fears that people have of, oh, God, you know, this is like the Great Depression. Uh, Hoover and his administration are a case study in an inept response to that type of failure. Uh, the Federal Reserve raised rates. What's the Federal Reserve done this time? They've lowered rates to zero quickly. Um, the money supply, they contracted it. You know, we've expanded it. Um, he tried to balance the budget. We're putting massive aid out there. And the type of response by the Federal Reserve uh, that they've, that we've seen already is part of what Bob cites when he says coronavirus, and this is a quote, will go into the record books as a recession of note because of its depth and its brevity. It's incredibly deep and it will be incredibly short. So you mentioned uh, President Hoover, and I think this is an interesting thing going into an election, um, but that it, one of the stats that he talked about was uh, the chances of an incumbent being reelected during a recession. And what it showed is that um, there was only one president that was reelected during a recession, and that was Calvin Coolidge back in 1924. Bush, Carter, Ford, Hoover, as you pointed out in Taft, none of them were reelected. So I'm not sure that's a great sign um, for November 3rd for the incumbent, but there's a lot of things that can happen between now and then, of course. Anything else out of Bob Dahl that you think people, I mean, I know we can go into a lot of yep. technical stuff, but a couple quick else things. That- uh, and these are things that kind of pick from the headlines, right? Um, and to the point, we're not going to tell you anything that you can already read or you should have read already in, in some of the better publications out there. But we have just finished, not finished actually, but you could argue we have finished the longest expansion in American history from 2009 uh, until just this past uh, February, March. Uh, we got down to three and a half percent unemployment. The number of jobs that were added to payrolls from July 09 through February 2020 
have been eclipsed by the number of jobs lost since February 2020. That's a big headline, right? And people get really afraid when they see that. Um, I, I think a lot of listeners probably understand that you have to think about where those jobs are being lost and what type of people are losing those jobs. 70% of the jobs that have been lost, which is over um, 21 million jobs so far, 70% of those come from just three industries. A third of those come from the leisure industry, like hotel, travel, 25% from restaurants, and 10% from retail. And there are some retailers who are doing quite well with their online sales, like Target and Amazon. But um, we see some other bankruptcies that probably were long coming. We just saw that JCPenney, you know, they've been through massive restructuring over the years. We see uh, just in the news this morning that uh, Pier One Imports, oh God, you know, what are we going to do without our wicker chairs? Um, they're going to close all of their stores. Uh, so a lot of these were kind of dying on the vine. Uh, and that 10% retail, I mean, these are all tragic, tragic numbers. Um, but it is not systemic across every piece of the economy. It's very um, lumpy. I think that's one of the, the key things that um, talked about. And he also talks about something that is in the news a lot too. What type of uh, recovery we're going to get? We're going to get a U, a V, a W. Um, he views it again. You know, this is a deep but quick recession. However, we're going to have a long, bumpy line of recovery. He calls it a check mark, but it's a check mark where that upswing is uh, you know, like somebody's um, got the shakes when they're writing it. Uh, he thinks it will take three to four times as long to get 80% of what we've lost back. And some of the remaining 20% we won't get back. Uh, it'll come from other places. Um, that's, that's what we're looking at. And uh, that's an outlook that I see from some other uh, economists, market strategists, but Vanguard, um, other places that are not trying to sell you something. So let's let's pivot from that to kind of the current state of, uh, of of where we are, maybe where we've come from, to some of the stuff that's happening to help people. Um, I'm guessing, uh, in one way or another, our listeners have heard about something called the CARES Act that was put into place probably a month or two ago now. And I think there's a couple things specific that I'd like to um, elaborate on and, and I'll let some of our other guests uh, talk about this, but specifically there are some um, recovery rebates. There's money coming to people um, if it hasn't come already. Um, there are some retirement plan and tax provisions that are there to help people. Uh, and then, you know, some benefits around student loan repayment. There's this thing called the PPP Um there are all these things that I was hoping we could touch on briefly to translate those into kind of some basic um, sound bites for folks who may have heard the term but don't know exactly what it is or how it applies to them. So um, I'll look at uh, Cece first. If do you have any of those topics that you'd like to uh, translate for us? You want me to kind of proceed myself, or you want to take one of them and go from there? Yeah, I think one of the main ones on people's minds at least maybe a month or so ago was the stimulus package and kind of the check that everyone was going to be getting, which is something we talked about at the conference. Um, you know, who's getting it if they haven't gotten it? How do they figure out when it's coming? Um, will it be direct deposited or will it be mailed? What if it gets mailed to the wrong place? There's kind of, there were a lot of questions a few weeks ago around that. Um, some of the interesting things that I found were, people that maybe receive their check and have the possibility of returning them. A 
lot of questions were, you know, if my child was 16 years old last year, but they're 17 this year, am I going to have to return that money? Um, the person that was presenting had mentioned, you know, that's probably not likely. Whereas if you received a check for an individual who passed away, you know, that's probably likely that you'll have to return that check. So that was one of the kind so of just, main let things. Let me say something real quick. Just so what you're talking about is so mm-hmm. for any child under 17, it's 500 bucks. Um, now there is a phase out based on income. So it's 1200 for an individual, mm-hmm. 2400 for a couple, and 500 per child under 17, right? Correct. Correct. And I know some kids were getting the full, you know, 1200 because maybe they had a summer job or they worked maybe at 15, 16, 17 years old. Are they going to have to give that money back? Jeff Levin had said, you know, that's probably likely that they will have to get some of that money back. I think he said it was kind of rolled out so quickly that there were a lot of bumps. And um, that's when, you know, they might reverse things and say, okay, these are the people that will have to send money. These are the people that won't. And I think the threshold, there's a chart that I remember, I'm trying to pull it up, but so it is uh, what they call a phase out, which means once your income gets to a certain level, depending on what type of filing status you are, um, that goes away. Um, And I'm trying to look at the numbers, but let's say it's somewhere in the $200,000 range. Right. Um, what it shows, there's this one chart that says, look, it's based on last year's taxes. Um, where is it? Uh, so the phase out for uh, married filing jointly is 150000 for the recovery. For the uh, recovery rebate too? Yes. There it is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is someone sharing their screen with me? I was wondering, I was trying to control the, the page, but it kept moving on me. <laughs> Mystery solved. Hey, Dave, go down um, to page five, will you? The one where it's got the matrix. There we go. So this is an interesting one because I think this is something that that Cece was talking about, which is um, if your 2019 income was below the threshold of 150000 you're going to get the rebate now. And if you're already getting Social Security, that money should have already come or is coming via direct deposit. Um, there is a website if you have not received the check that you can go to to request it, or they may mail it to the address of record on the tax return. Um, there's another one that says if your income was low enough in 19, but in 20, it's going to be higher in theory, you know, you would still get the rebate, but in theory, you may owe that back. Um, but the speaker seemed to think that they're really not going to come after that at this point. Uh, so you'll likely be able to keep that even though your 2020 income may exceed the threshold. Um, the one where it was, um, that I found that you don't see a lot in the in the headlines is what if your income was higher in 2019 but it's lower in 2020? Well, that will be a, a tax credit provided on your 2020 return. So there's a second chance for folks who may not have qualified based on income last year. I'm thinking of people that we may work with who have retired who had income in 2019, but in 2020 they may not. So there's these different scenarios that this money is getting paid through, uh, and we've received lots of calls from folks on like, well, how do I get it? And it sounds like. You know, they're trying to send it to as many people um, electronically as possible, but there will be some over the course of this year that will have to still be claimed or at least come through in a tax um, credit on 2020. So, um, Cecilia, what else stuck out in that in his presentation? There were a couple other things that came to mind for me, um, but I don't want to hog too much of the airtime here. Yeah, and that's okay. I know we talked a little bit more about the CARES Act. There were kind of three main things that changed. Um, or I guess, you know, even back to the Secure Act, which at this point, I mean, it was only what December of 2019, but it feels like a couple of years ago. 
Um, that changed yeah. RMBs, which this CARES Act kind of came um, and changed a few of those requirements as far as RMDs starting at 72 years old instead of 70 and a half. And now they're even delaying that for your 2019 RMD. Um, and for some, in some cases, even delaying the 2020 RMD, uh, there's different requirements for that, as, as well as the kind of plan loan enhancements that they've made and some of the coronavirus-related distributions. Uh, there's a lot more leniency around those. There's still, like I said, certain requirements that you have to kind of check the box for certain um, distributions or enhancements. But those are kind of some of the other things that he touched on as far as ways that you can be helped if you've been directly affected by coronavirus. So basically what they're saying is, you know, you don't have to take your required minimum distribution this year if you were already taking them. That applies to inherited IRAs as well. So you don't have to take them for 2020. You can give them back if you've already taken them for 2020, if I'm not mistaken, right? And then giving you access to additional retirement plan assets for hardship withdrawals without penalties. Though on that one, something interesting that a lot of employees aren't aware of is that their plans, their, their employer's plan has to allow that special distribution. And the law doesn't say that all plans have to. So always check with your employer first. So, so, so does that mean that it doesn't necessarily, your plan may not even allow it at all? That's right. Hmm. Yeah, the plan doesn't have to allow it. But if the plan does allow the the COVID distribution, then the special rules apply. You can take all of your vested balance out instead of half. Have you found that some of these plans are being amended because of some of these changes? Have you found that or what are you? We haven't seen that happening. We haven't seen that happening. And really it's, in order to qualify for a lot of these provisions, the individual has to have either had COVID uh, or had some other significant financial impact due to COVID, job loss, furlough. And um, we just have not seen that through the lens of the world that we see, through which we see the world. Mm-hmm. And Cecilia, you also mentioned um, for those who had taken their RMDs this year, they could... Um, essentially put those back, that is true as long as it's done within a 60-day window. Right. So that same 60-day rollover window that um, you're normally required to stay within, that's the same for kind of that RMD rollback. You've got to do it within that 60-day window. That's what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of, you know, hoops that people will have to jump through and requirements, like I said. So I'd actually be curious to know how many people are actually doing some of this stuff. Um, but I mean, it's good to know that it's there. It's an option that's available. When you say this stuff, I mean, I think the RMD one is something that we encountered obviously quite a lot, especially for folks who don't need the income. Um, it allows us, at least in our day jobs, to to look at some additional strategies where income over a certain year may be lower than usual. Um, things like Roth IRA conversions and so forth. Um, so we have seen some of that, but the others... Like, for example, the charitable contribution one where the AGI limit typically for cash contributions is 60% of adjusted gross income. Now it's 100, right? So that to me is for people who don't necessarily need the money but maybe want to support charitable causes more now because of what's going on. I'm not sure I've encountered anybody who's taking advantage of that one um, yet, but the RMD is a big one. Right, correct. And 
I don't know if you remember him talking too about the additional $300 that you can take as a qualified charitable contribution above your standard deduction. So if you're taking the standard deduction, um, if you're giving $300 in cash to a 501c3 charity, you can take that as a qualified um, deduction. I was a little underwhelmed with that when I was looking yeah. at it, when I heard him talk about it, you know, it's like mm-hmm. you're getting the standard deduction, but here we're going to give you another $300 right. um, above the line deduction. It seems like that could have been a bit more generous, but I'm sure there's a reason for that, right? There always right. is a good reason. Right, right. What about um, what about student loans? I know a lot of people we talk to have student loans out there. Do you recall some of the things that are out there to help borrowers with those? Yeah, with certain federal student loans, the payments are being deferred. So in most cases, if you had a federal government loan, your payment actually went to zero beginning in March. I think it was March 16th or something. And it will be like that for, I think, about six months until October. Um, If you wanted to opt into actually paying that, that payment, you physically had to call them and tell them to turn that back on, which I thought was really interesting. They were really proactive in just cutting it off for everyone. So no required payments, no accrual of interest income, uh, interest expense rather. Correct. It still counts toward loan forgiveness programs. Right, right. So it counts towards as if you're paying, you know, a normal payment, they're going to count those six months towards that loan forgiveness program. And um, I know one question that a lot of people had was, okay, now that this deferment period is going on, how about I just throw a bunch of money at my student loans? And like you would normally think a mortgage, you know, it's going straight to principal. This wasn't the case for some of these student loans. You actually have to pay down your interest that you had accrued before you can start digging away at that principal. Nonetheless, it's a relief, um, I think, for most people with what can be high monthly payments. So it kind of increased cash flow, cash flow for some people. Well, and now that I know, not that I didn't know before, but now that I know that a lot of our listeners are quite interested in college planning and financing. I think that's a topic that, uh, that probably is getting a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. What about other things? I mean, I don't know if we need to talk about the PPP here, the paycheck protection program. Um, I know you guys feel like there's anything you want to add to the PPP. I know we've got some people that we work with who are business owners who are probably quite familiar with it already. I'm not sure there's a lot there at this point on, uh, May, what's the date today? May 20th, that there is still some PPP money out there for folks. Um, you guys have any kind of little nuggets on the PPP you think would be helpful for folks or should we move on? I, I, I think the real challenge right now goes beyond the content of uh, Jeff Levine's discussion of this a couple of weeks ago, which is sadly some of the major banks out there like Wells Fargo are just not processing loan requests from small businesses. And, um, for small business owners out there, uh, it's it's a reason to take a look at a smaller local bank. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, I know that they've since they've opened up more money. I don't know what some of the big banks, if it's still an issue or not. But we've all read the news about you know large companies getting priority. Um, I know specifically some of the smaller banks, at least in our area, uh, are even taking customers who are not customers of that bank, and it is a bit of a cumbersome process. And the uh, forgiveness part is really untested. Nobody really knows how that's going to work. I expect that to be a bit of a mess, to be honest. Um, but that's one of those things that will get figured out, which is the, hey, great, we've given you this loan based on 100% of your payroll for two months. 
I think it's two and a half percent of payroll <clears throat> and benefits. And then after two and a half months, if you can demonstrate you've kept people on your payroll, it gets forgiven. Um, but there is no real process for that. So I would expect that to be a bit of a nightmare and lists going public and people being shamed. There's a lot of gray area around what is imminently necessary or required versus not. So um, I think it was a great lifeline for businesses, um, but there's a lot still to be, to be figured out. Um, so let's talk about um, what else is there? Unemployment. So, you know, we've seen a lot more people who have had to file for that. It seems like there's a bump in unemployment benefits and there's no waiting period um, for that. Um, anything else on unemployment that you guys think would be helpful to, to mention? I think most people know at this point, if you're receiving unemployment. I was going to say, you're either getting it now or you're not. And, you know, who knows? Right. I mean, as we reopen, you know, as, as Dave mentioned with Bob Dahl's discussion around kind of a second dip, I mean, I think that could, you know, parlay itself into something around employment too. So there may be more of that um, on the way. Yeah, and interestingly enough, um, they mentioned in the session that I went to um, that there, those who were making around sixty thousand or less are actually making more now, being unemployed, than they were at their original job. So um, they mentioned that that was kind of an unintended consequence, but we know that those some short those shorter term relief, like the six hundred dollars. Um, for the unemployment is not something that's going to last forever. Yeah. I remember, you know, back in 2008, you know, when there were a lot of people who who lost their jobs and this whole unemployment thing was, I want to say taboo, but it was a different experience. And I think this time people have really jumped at it and, and went straight for, you know, filing for benefits. And I've been quite proud of a lot of people that we deal with who have just taken it in stride. And that's just how it goes. And I'm glad to see that there has been some enhancements to the program um, so that folks can get that money right away and get what they need. So um, let's talk about, I'm going to shift gears a little bit. If if there's anything else on the tax side that comes back up, please bring it to our attention. But I want to talk about real estate a little bit. I know, you know, there are people who, you know, were looking for houses, people whose homes were listed, people who've wanted to build homes, uh, people who are relocating um, jobs. And that's all kind of gotten thrown up in the air. And I know one of the speakers was on real estate and its impact on markets. And I know, Mirami, you were in that session. What kind of um, information can you share to the layperson around what's going on and maybe some basic expectations of what they would encounter if they were in the market, either as a buyer or a seller? Yeah. So um, as Dave had mentioned before, some of the harder hit um, industries like hospitality and leisure, um, the the cities that are hubs for areas like that are definitely going to be slower to recover in terms of housing, the housing market. Um, they said that we would start seeing shift more towards home remodeling, um, home repairs, DIY, and that most people who are going to be looking for places to buy coming out of this are going to be first-time home buyers and young growing families um, that are looking to move out of the city and more into the suburbs. Um, And that we'll see probably more um, along 
um, houses that have home offices, multi-generational living spaces, and more efficient floor plans, and more of an emphasis on um, communities where there are communities of new homes being built. Um, A lot of people who are entering the market to start looking for a home are looking for new homes and in communities and with a small footprint um, more in the suburbs and less in the city. So I think there will be trends there as far as those who are looking to buy and sell or to sell their existing home. There has been definitely a dip in demand for the sale and the purchase of existing homes. Um, But they expect that those will pick up once uh, things start to look more positive. It's interesting. One of the things that you mentioned that I wasn't in that session, but, you know, we had seen a migration of, of people moving more into urban lifestyles, you know, in closer quarters. And this has really reversed that trend where people are actually um, thinking about the opposite now. I don't know how long that will last. I guess it's maybe a matter of how long this uh, current situation lasts, but that's an interesting uh, 180. Um, Another thing you mentioned, which I suspect will resonate with some of us older people, but but if you've been to a Home Depot or a Lowe's over the past like couple of months, you'll know that they are absolutely packed, and you know there are people, you know, doing lots of DIY projects. We uh, know a guy who he's a supplier for all of the outdoor equipment and playgrounds and so forth for all of the Home Depots and Lowe's, and he said that they've sold out of their entire annual inventory out of all those places already, mm-hmm. and. Um, it's great for those stores, of course, and it's you know shows it's a sign of people trying to you know make the most of where they are, and and, and um, obviously not everybody can afford to stay put. Some people have to move for work. We obviously know some people who are transitioning, and it is a very uncertain uh, situation for them. It's definitely a, I guess you'd say it's a buyer's market, by, um, by all accounts. So, anything else, Mary? I mean, thank you for sharing that. By the way, anything else that stood out um, on the real estate side? I think I think that covers it. I did show one thing that I noted here was that I always like to leave on a good note, but it showed that new home Google searches have been increasing. So I yeah. that was a little bit something that got lost in there, but that is a little bit of a positive, which says yes, and, and it's you know it seems to make sense, right? When people become fearful, they they kind of lock down, things dip, but you know seeing some signs of a turnaround. Obviously, Google is a leading indicator, as we would say. So that's a good sign. Yes. Yeah, it's definitely on the upswing. Um, so I, I looked for, there was another guy who spoke. His name was John Saleo, and he is a data security and privacy uh, consultant. And he's a dynamic speaker. If you ever get a chance, his website is, I think, johnsaleo.com. Um, he had the coolest presentation. Like he was able to, like, you know, insert himself into the PowerPoint and is is really cool. Anyway, I couldn't find his presentation. And is there anything that you, you guys remembered from that particularly that stood out? He's, we've seen him a few times. And so, so yeah, John, I, I think, um, so John Slayo covers a lot of stuff and he's an interesting background. He got into like personal security, like technology security for 
advisors and their clients because he used to be an advisor and his identity got hacked. And years ago, that caused him a significant amount of pain and uh, he almost went to jail and he was innocent. So he's now made it his life's mission to get the word out about seriously, this stuff's important. I, I, without repeating things that we've already covered around, you need to use a password vault and use strong passwords and you need to use a virtual private network and you need to change the default password on your home Wi-Fi router because anybody could look that up on Google. Um, he talked about some things that I think people don't think about as much. He said, hey, everybody's working from home now. So that's like this great big hole that you could drive a Mac truck through from an identity protection uh, standpoint. Why? Because now you have uh, not just, you know, mom and dad there, but you also have the, the teenage or the college uh, age uh, children who are at home and doing things on the Internet. They are the holes. If you have your own stuff locked down, do they? Because they're out there on the Internet. Um, and he said that one of the things that we probably all need to be thinking about in this time is having a professional come and set up your home network so that it's actually secure so that somebody can't either uh, hack in through what one of you happens to be doing online or hack in through um, getting free Wi-Fi because they're on the other side of the wall from your apartment. Uh, I think that some of the things that he covered get really in-depth for what we as firms are doing. And uh, if, if any of the firms aren't doing them, they should be. But one of the things that's really important is not trusting that the emails that you get are actually from the sender, that the links that are embedded in them are actually the links that they meant to send, and that whatever activity your family is doing out on the internet isn't potentially exposing all of you to tremendous uh, personal identity theft. So have a professional, take a look at your home network, things that you can do yourself, change the password on your Wi-Fi router, lock that thing down, and um, make sure that your whole family has all of your computers up to date on the latest security and all of the latest software patches. Other things that you can do yourselves are make sure everybody is using strong passwords. Make sure that your family is using a password vault like LastPass, OnePassword, Dashlane, any of the top ones. And then once you go through all of those steps, then just be smart. When somebody sends you something, make sure it's actually from that sender by looking at the full email address, not just the display name. And then before you click on any link that's sent to you, hover over it and make sure that it's actually the link, uh, the, the address that, the, uh, that, that you would expect. And then hire a professional. But everybody's working from home. Believe me, identity thieves are working from home too, and they are targeting all of us. Well, it's interesting you say that. I mean, so I, there were no new takeaways, I think, from, from the discussion no. other than like you said in your truck example, is there's a whole new vulnerability because everybody's working from home. The thing that struck me is he said hire a professional. Well, it's not like, you know, I don't know any professional. I mean, we can find them, but I think that is a, that is a, that is a field uh, that, that uh, is still developing. And, and I would 
hope that people know where to find those resources. I mean, you can Google those or go to Best Buy and they can hook you up with somebody. But it sounds really easy. Yeah, just go get your local data privacy person and have them stop by for the afternoon. I think it's easier said than done, but definitely, um, especially if you're running a business out of the house, dealing with sensitive information, that is something that needs to be part of everybody's. um, A little beyond the scope of this podcast. Yeah. And we had a, back in, I don't know what episode it was, we had Randy Franklin um, on talking about data security. Uh, So go back and do your favor, do yourself a favor and check that out if you're interested. Um, So before I move on to the kind of wrap up the podcast, is there anything else from the, um, from the session, any of the sessions that you all that stood out that you think some of our listeners might uh, be interested in? You know, I think a couple of things that are interesting and kind of touch on topics we've already covered here. Um, Insurance. We had a really interesting speaker come and talk about um, your home and liability coverage uh, and they came from Chubb, which is uh, an insurance company generally for folks who have uh, some substantial means. But what was interesting is he he covered and I've heard folks from uh, these types of companies before. They, they talk about how you really want to make sure you understand what you're being covered for. Uh, you want to make sure that it's the full replacement cost of your house, that if you have to go live in a hotel after your house has had a fire, that they're covering that. Um and, and a lot of the types of coverage that you might need to have is not coverage that some of the mainline um, internet-based insurance companies are going to offer. And so that's an area where certainly we work with our clients to make sure that they do have coverage that makes sense to them. Um, we also had a really great discussion from the state planning attorney in Denver, and she was talking about how you get what you pay for. To summarize that, you know, if you pay $25 for a will off of uh, LegalZoom, um, you might not be getting something that actually protects your wishes. Uh, and the same is true for going to a friend who's an attorney, but that's just not the type of work they do. They're going to do their best work, but it's not an area where they have expertise. So seeing an estate planning attorney who really knows their stuff uh, can be worth the uh, what can seem like a, a lot of money to spend because hey nobody thinks that they're going to die tomorrow but this is maybe a, a a reminder that it is good to make sure your documents are prepared by somebody who really knows what they're doing and uh, you know that certainly we review that with our clients to make sure that their documents reflect their wishes all right i don't know if anybody can hear my kids arguing in the background but uh, my apologies for uh the podcast and exile. Uh, I guess that's just part of the deal right now. So um, we'll keep moving forward. So as I wrap up, I wanted to just share some news with everybody out there. If you haven't heard already, the EvoFi team is moving out to our new digs in Scott's edition, Richmond, Virginia. Um, Movers come next week. So our next podcast, if not being broadcast from Remote uh, locations. At some point, we will be broadcasting from our new studio at 2917 West Lee Street in Scott's Edition. So if you're ever around and you want to come in and see where it happens, come see us. We're right across the street from Busky Cider. Um, so with that, I think I've covered the agenda here. Any last comments from anyone around the gallery before we sign off? Yeah, are you going to tell us what that song is? <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought you were kidding. Hey, Penny, why don't you uh, educate some of our 
younger, cooler people what that yeah, old folk song was. That's Back in Black by ACDC. No idea. Google it. No. It is, wow. It's a classic. So I, turn it up in the car. So I think before we end, we, should, we absolutely have to talk about um, how you're behaving during quarantine. So um, I'll, I'll ask you guys some of the questions that everyone always seems to be talking about, which is, what's the first thing you're going to do after the quarantine is lifted? Like full on, like not phase one, phase two, but like, what, what are you going to do? Good question. Hmm. I'll go last. It's so far away. I haven't even thought about it. I'm looking <laughs> forward to travel. I'm looking forward to being able to go to a NAFA conference, like the one that we just had virtually, but um, there's a great okay, article in today's New York times about, you know, Will conferences and, and big meetings of people really ever come back the way that we knew them? Probably not. Yeah, I would have to agree with Dave. I'd say I'm between travel and a concert. I'm not sure that, you know, how long it's going to take for us to feel comfortable doing that, but I definitely am just ready to book a flight somewhere and go see something new. Mariami. I'm probably more on the lower key side with just going to a restaurant or something <laughs> with my family. <laughs> Sounds pretty relaxing, actually. Um, John? Um, I had two thoughts. One is, you know, I think the restaurant idea sounds lovely. I probably will not bring my kids um, as lovely as they are. But also is I'd like to take my kids, ironically, to a concert. Um, we've been talking a lot about music over the past uh, couple of weeks and uh, months, rather. One of them, ironically, is ACDC. Um, uh, and the other is Queen. And my kids are really into those, and they've never been to a concert before. Um, wow. By the way, this is a fun one, and I'll end on this one. Did everybody? Dave didn't answer, by the way. My first concert was Liberace. Oh, Dave, you did answer the NAPFA conference perfectly. What was your first <laughs> concert? Liberace, you probably don't know who that is either. You can Google that later, but John, that's just can you think about who that was? Wow. You just told everybody that. That's mine was Kiss. Excellent. <laughs> mine was Jimi Hendrix. Wow. Wow. You're old. I was very, very young when I saw I was gonna say okay. <laughs> I I was that's so awesome. Like, oh wow. It'd be awesome. The next was Count Basie. I think mine was John Mayer. Hmm. Not bad. Wow, I'm old. (laughs) (laughs) I went to one that was like hosted by radio station. So it had a bunch of country artists there. Wasn't that recently, Mariami? Yeah, I didn't ever really go to concerts and I don't like them that much, but yeah. um, it was recently. It well, a few couple of years ago it was um, uh, Hunter Hayes and Lady A and Sam Hunt. I think that sounds pretty good. Not bad for a first concert. <laughs> yeah. All right, Penny, you got anything else before we wrap up? Did you have a list of questions? I did have one. I did have one more, just because this is kind of a hot topic in um, our family. So. What's the one thing you're kind of refusing to do that everyone is doing in quarantine, like growing a beard or the big one in my family is puzzling. So I'm a big <laughs> puzzler. 
but my children are like, this is not going to ever happen. So what is one thing that you're refusing to do that everyone is doing? Go to Lowe's without a mask and gloves. <laughs> Seems like every time I have to go to Lowe's for like outside pickup, I see all these people going in there with no masks and no gloves. I refuse to walk out there without a mask. I think one of the big things I've seen my peers do is make bread from scratch, and I just refuse to do that. I'm mm. You say bread? That. <laughs> yeah, have you seen? I mean, I feel a lot of people are starting to do that now. They're like, we have the time, let's try it. Sourdough is so, all the rage. Yeah. I'm baking a lot, but not that kind of bread. I'm baking all sweet stuff. John, did you grow a beard or did you refuse? I did, but then, you know, I couldn't take myself seriously. So it didn't look good, as good as Dave's either. What did you but, do? Um, Give it two days? <laughs> Yeah, I, we I, see you I, every day. My kid, my kids. I got little kids. They don't like that scratchy. Um, the only thing I can think of is exercise. So there's a lot of you know, like families go out and ride bikes or exercise. I got I got to go run by myself. I need a little bit of private time after I have three little <laughs> kids in here all day long. But uh, that's the only thing I can think of is going to exercise, doing a little bit of alone time running. <laughs> Mariami. Penny, you would appreciate this. I'm I'm a rule follower, so <laughs> I just kind of keep to myself, do my own thing, and stay out of people's way. And everything seems to be working fine for me. So <laughs> I do appreciate. All right. Well, hey, follower. look. On that note, I'm gonna. Did everybody answer that right? Yep. Yeah. Penny, that was fun. That was like the Evo two at the end. So um, I want to thank everybody all. <laughs> for y'all for joining us. I know it wasn't perfect, but um, I think we've got some good information out there. So um, I look forward to seeing you all in person soon. And for all listeners out there, please stay safe and uh, we'll be back soon with our next podcast until then. Take care. <laughs>